Welcome to Since You're Asking, a new podcast by Aspie Trainers dedicated to conversations with autistic people about autism, their perceptions of the world and the world's perceptions of them. This first podcast features a conversation with two of our trainers, Vicky and Anna. It was recorded all the way back in May 2017 at a tea room in Chichester. Due to it being recorded in an old building, you will hear some creaks in the recording, as well as the occasional sound of fellow patrons looking for their seats. Vicky and Anna spend the conversation talking about the term high-functioning, its uses and drawbacks, including the misleading assumptions it can lead to people making about those with the label. Hello and welcome to the first Aspie Trainers podcast. I'm Vicky and I'm here with Anna and we're going to be talking today about the term high-functioning. So basically, we want to discuss what defines high versus low functioning. Like when people describe, it's a term what they use to describe people with autism as, like they're either high or low functioning. But like, what, what are they actually basing it on? I think that uh, the term high functioning is very, very arbitrary because it's you can be you can be very um, you can have a lot of ability in some areas, but then great deficits in another area. Uh, so you can't you can't you can't give someone a catch-all label such as high or low that doesn't take into account the complexity of their day-to-day experience. So it, it can like minimise people's um, disabilities. Yeah. Um, so like because they say basically when they say high functioning it's really subjective and it's usually based on other people's assumptions about an autistic person's intelligence or like their apparent intelligence basically their verbal skills usually and um but when you say someone's high functioning like as you said like if they've got other problems they can effectively be not functioning very well at all in their life but just because they come across as like relatively intelligent or sociable they're considered high functioning when in fact they can be like really disabled so it can like the term high functioning can minimize um people's disabilities yeah and also it goes back to the way autism was originally defined uh people when people think about autism they usually have in their mind uh classic canis autism which was uh, the autism that um was has been the most widely publicised, but that's really just a fluke of history, because. Uh, so you was mentioning the how it's like the kind of stereotype. Yeah. And then you talk about Hans Asperger and how it's a fluke of history that that particular type has been promoted as the type of Asperger's. Yeah. And then everything else is compared to classic Canis autism. So when you say someone's high functioning, you're comparing them in a very arbitrary fashion to someone with classic canner's autism it's all comparative but someone with classic canner's autism usually has a learning disability uh, whereas someone with asperger's um usually doesn't a learning disability is when someone has um a global iq below 70 um although it is, it is in theory possible for someone with asperger's actually to have um a mild learning disability but usually people with asperger's um function in the average to above range in terms of their intellectual ability uh, so you're not comparing like with like it's a bit like an analogy would be like comparing a depressed person with an average to above average iq to a depressed person with a learning disability and saying that the person without a learning disability is high functioning 
because they, they don't have a learning disability. That would be absolutely nonsensical. We're not comparing. We're not comparing the same things. Um, so we need to see people on their own terms. Uh, it, it's kind of like saying, okay, so you don't have a learning disability. Um, you don't matter. Kind of yeah, it, it causes people to make assumptions about capabilities. But then on, on the flip side, it also can potentially make people underestimate those who are called low functioning because just because they might not appear to be intelligent and people, it's been shown that people judge apparent intelligence on their verbal abilities. Um, so just because a person doesn't appear to be intelligent or not very socially capable, they're considered low functioning, but they might actually have a lot of skills in some areas. So it can, so basically it can minimise, basically causing pe it causes them to make assumptions about capabilities because like it makes it entirely based on apparent intelligence when there is just so much more to a person than that. Like a so-called low functioning person can be really skilled in many areas or, or what's considered a high functioning person can be like, have no skills at all but just happen to be talkative and look sociable. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, it it also comes um, as I say, having having classic Hannah's autism as the standard, uh, which everything, which all other types of autism are compared against, uh, is very one dimensional. Which treating autism as one pole, um, if you think of a line um, moving from severe to mild is how autism yeah. is often defined just one line um that's very black and white way of looking at things and that one line when they talk of functioning that one line seems to be intelligence yeah when there's so many other things that contribute like that are to do with autism like social anxiety or executive dysfunction or um just the actual autism itself like your ability to socially empathize and all that but with the high functioning or low functioning, it does make it black and white from and based on intelligence. But I sort of understand why they're saying high functioning because there are some people with autism who are full on disabled and need twenty seven four seven care. So I can sort of understand why they want to make a distinction between people like us um, and people very 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 disabled people like them. But it's just the high functioning thing is. It's, it's basically not very scientific, and it's very subjective. Yeah, and it's um going back to what you're saying about uh how some are like obviously very very disabled, need twenty four seven care, usually have a learning disability. Yeah. Um, it's the problem um in terms of classification. Um, the clinical term for that is um I have to use the wrong word. It's uh, nosology, <laughs> which is like uh, a way um psychiatrists classify conditions. The, pro the problem is, you're actually, are we actually describing the same condition? I don't think we are, we're, we're describing, we're actually describing many, many, many different conditions. There are many, many different um, conditions under the uh, banner of autism that actually um, might have very different causes. Um, and, it's, and it's simply because, I guess, I guess time in history, we're not sophisticated enough to kind of... Um, to to fit to to to, to analyze them separately, so we just lump them all together, um, and um, so for example, if you think of someone who can speak very very well, like myself and, and Vicky, 
um, where we can talk very, very well. We're obviously very, very different to say someone with autism who's non-verbal and needs that 24-7 assistance. But actually, we're not describing the same condition. We're describing two different conditions that can be equally severe, but in very different ways. So we don't have the same problems as that person that needs 24-7 assistance. But it's meaningless, absolutely meaningless, to say that we're um, therefore mild compared to them because we're not comparing the same thing. Um, we actually we can have very uh, severe problems ourselves in terms of our quality of life, not being able to work, not being able to access society. They're obviously of a different nature to that person needs 24-7 assistance, but are just as disabling um, for ourselves subjectively. So it's, it's absolutely meaningless to compare us against that person, I think. Yeah. So it's very... Basically, there's a lot of people who think that um, there's autism as a condition and then the people like that, the non-verbal ones, have an additional learning disability and they, a lot of people consider that to be separate. So, like, there's just autism and then the so-called high-functioning ones don't have a learning disability and the so-called low-functioning ones do. Although I've seen um, what I believe to be cases of people who are described as low-functioning when in reality they're just coming across as not very sophisticated, but when you get to know them, they actually are like perfectly intelligent. So again, it's just really subjective and based on the appearance of intelligence quite often. Yeah, in a way in which in the Western society, um, intelligence is usually um, assessed on the basis of how well you can speak. So yeah. if you can use long words, you can talk and talk and things like that, then society says you're intelligent. Uh, that's just one facet of intelligence that's very arbitrarily defined. Um, intelligence is made up of many, many different parts. Um, that person might be might have zero intelligence, say, in the performance domain, um, but because they can speak well and everything, that side is overlooked. But conversely, someone who can't speak um, is, is given that label low-functioning, um, when actually, as Vicky was saying, they might actually have great skill in other areas and actually be very intelligent, just in a different way. Yeah, but there's um, one case of a man, I think he's called Stephen Wiltshire, he's like um, what they would call the low-functioning autistic, but he's actually got an incredibly photographic memory, and he was able to like go in a helicopter for 20 minutes and draw like a whole scene of the City of London, like on a four-metre um, wide bit of canvas. So he's, in that way, he's like obviously high-functioning in some areas, and if he was just called a low-functioning person, like it doesn't take into account that he does have skills. So even people who are very, like, very, very disabled and need a lot of assistance, they can have some skills, so to just call him low-functioning when he's obviously functioning well artistically in, like, his photographic memory. Basically lump someone into low or high-functioning and it's not taking into account the entire person and their range of skills. It's basically treating them like a machine. Yeah. So do you think there's any better terms for high functioning? Because I do think there is a difference between the people who are, like, and I understand why they need to distinguish between the people who are obviously extremely, extremely disabled and people like us, but is there, do you think there's a better term than high functioning or versus low functioning? Um, I, well, that's a difficult one. I think that, um, because uh, autism is such a young diagnosis and all these conditions are just lumped together in this arbitrary fashion, I think um, what, would, what we really need to happen is for there to be greater differentiation, um, subtyping. Um, and that might mean that we need new names, new terms. I do think there's a problem in, in, call, in, in using one word for all of these conditions. Yeah. 
um, because that just kind of confuses matters. When we're not describing the same condition, it's a bit like, say, taking different types of schizophrenia, for example, which is another kind of uh, a condition that's considered to be a spectrum. But actually now they're um, increasingly recognising that schizophrenia isn't one condition. It's actually many different conditions. They, they call it the schizophrenia spectrum, don't yeah. they? Yeah, many different types, you know, paranoid, disorganised and all the rest. Um, and but, then there's other schiz-type conditions, like there's schizoaffective disorder. I think there's schizoid personality disorder. I think I'm not an expert, but if I remember rightly, they they come under the schizophrenia spectrum. Yeah, there's um, this wide spectrum. But if anyone listening, you might have to check that because I'm not entirely sure, <laughs> but I know there definitely is a schizophrenia spectrum. Um, yeah, it's I guess it's that they want to basically. We don't know much about the mind yet. Um, and so basically in psychology and psychiatry, they just try and categorise people based on what they see. So they're trying to categorise and label people with, the, with these subtypes. I don't, you can't ever fully fit into a subtype because every individual is so different. And that, that, that's for all of psychiatry as well. They're trying to put people into like subtypes and categories. And it's the best we can do right now, given that we don't know much about the brain or mind. But everyone is an individual. And so you just got to take their problems as they come. Yeah, it's that um, treating individualised approach, which is so important. It's like, it, ma it does not matter one bit to me that I'm not as disabled as that person over there. In terms of my day-to-day -day experience, my disability affects me 100% as an individual. Yeah. So it's important that people see the person as an individual instead of constantly comparing them and saying, oh, you're all right, you're not as bad as that person over there. Why are you mm -hmm. complaining? Mm -hmm. It's a bit like saying to a poor person, you've got, you're better over here than, say, in parts of Africa. Just get on with it. Yeah. That means absolutely nothing to that poor person over here who's struggling day in, day out, just because, you know, they might, um, in some areas, have, have, have uh, better, um, more access to more facilities than, say, that person over in Africa. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. anything to them. So why, we, why do we always have to compare against other people? It, it, it just it, it trivialises and diminishes one's actual experience. Because there's always going to be someone who can be said to be suffering worse than you or more disabled than you, but it don't make you actually less disabled. No, that's it. In, ter in terms of your own experience, um, it's, it's subjective in, in terms of how you uh, experience your life. Yeah. Um, and, and as I say, drawing those analogies again with other conditions, it would be like saying someone with um, very pronounced OCD, for example, um, isn't really that disabled because they don't have a learning disability. We don't do that, with, you know, with other conditions, we don't do that. But with autism, it's always compared against someone with a learning disability who can't speak, which is meaningless. Yeah, it's like the art, it's like the considered, there's like two, like two, like stereotypes of autism. There's the, the, the full on, like very, very, like learning disabled person who needs constant assistance. And then there's the geeky genius. That's like the two types of autism that people are always compared to when hardly, I know that hardly anyone is of that um, geek category. That's, uh, that's, rare, that's quite rare. There are Obviously there are some, but it's a minority. Yeah. And also the very um, profoundly disabled type, they're also a relative minority. Yeah. Most people are actually uh, somewhere in the middle of the spectrum. Yeah. The vast majority. Not like uh, profoundly disabled, but still quite disabled. Yeah. So in terms of, um, given that like psychiatry is not going to change and like make massive progress anytime soon. In the meantime, what do you think they should say instead of high and low functioning? Um, I think 
they should say this person, this individual uh, has a condition that falls within the autistic spectrum. This is how it affects them. So basically just do away with it and just always explain any individual's problems. Yes. Like without. Yeah. Yeah. Bas so basically you reckon that they shouldn't have any distinction. They should always just say it as like they got an autism spectrum condition. And then if they got like a learning disability or or they also need constant supervision or whatever, then they just mention that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you start with the individual. Um you don't you don't use terms such as high or low or, or mild or severe which are so one-sided you, mm. you take their strengths and their weaknesses you you describe them yeah always starting from the individual another thing is though when people like us like the, the talkative ones who are considered high functioning like when there's groups of people like us quite often there are members who say like how do we not have people who are learning disabled in here because it will change the character of the group and we don't have the capabilities for people with those type of problems so there are people who are like us who are identifying themselves as high functioning like they're they're, se they're separating themselves and they want they want to have that like little like for practical reasons to call themselves that Um, so what's the question? <laughs> it's not really a question. It's sort of like basically what I'm saying is that um, people with um, like people like us, like I'm just remembering like like the groups I've been in. There's often been people who have said like, how can we word this so as not to attract the low functioning types? Like because there is, and it seems, and I I always think that I don't know. Part of me thinks we shouldn't try and exclude them, but I understand why if we don't have like say a group of high functioning people doesn't have the like capabilities to deal with those with additional learning disabilities. So what I'm saying is there are practical reasons why someone might want to call themselves high functioning. Yeah. Or try and exclude those with learning disabilities. It comes back to the problem uh, of um, of labels because uh, and and one of the uh, part of the problem of getting rid of Asperger's from the DSM because. Um, Asperger's is a very was a very very recent diagnosis, only really um, talked about in the nineteen nineties. But um, most people, when they think of Asperger's, they they think of someone who does not have a learning disability, and usually someone who can talk but is um, basically autistic. I forget that. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of the problem getting rid of Asperger's is that it, it did describe a particular type of person, so we wouldn't have this. So this now we problem. have to say high functioning. Um, yeah, now we've got rid of Asperger's lumped it all together with autism. But what, what essentially in the DSM five, it's become more dimensional, um, like it, it, it emphasising the spectrum. And um, Asperger's is more kind of um, a, a categorical diagnosis, but but um, um, it's sort of moving more towards this spectrum idea, which which makes sense in terms of like what you were saying about how it's, it can be hard to put people into particular subgroups and how, yeah. like for example, most people with Asperger's actually. Um, also meet the criteria for autism so that's part of the reason why I got rid of it but, mm. and also um, how do you define say language development and where, where's it cut off and all these sort of problems yeah um, but I still think personally um, that maybe I've made a grave mistake and kind of um, to use a metaphor like throwing the baby out of the bathwater like, too soon kind of thing yeah 
I guess so, because there is a difference there is a difference between people like us who are called high functioning and those who are called low functioning. And then when we used to say Asperger's, we would all know our type. Um and then people like say who are carers of the very um dis like learning disabled people would know that the, that group for example is not suitable for them because like they won't be able to join in and there's not the like the facilities to look after them or whatever so yeah i guess so i guess it's sort of although i seem to remember there used to be asperger's high functioning autism and low functioning autism and if i remember rightly and i may be wrong i seem to remember that high functioning autism was when they didn't have a learning disability but they did have a language disability or something like that yeah whereas with asperger's they didn't have either learning disability or a language delay yeah i think that's right um i think a usual distinction was also that uh, people with Asperger's in childhood didn't come across as classically autistic and were more socially motivated than those with high-functioning autism. So a young Asperger's child, for example, tends to be more active but odd. So like um, wanting to have friends, often approaching other kids for doing so in quite an inappropriate way, um, like what I used to do. Yeah. Um, whereas a child with who, who was originally described as having high-functioning autism would be more aloof or passive, so more classically autistic, more in their own world. Um, and they might have some speech delay, but then they catch up. And then by, say, um, adolescence, they, they come across very similar to someone with Asperger's and often you can't really tell the two apart. So it's more yeah. sort of early developmental thing. Yeah. That really distinguishes the two. But like the person with Asperger's, um, historically, they weren't supposed to have a learning disability, at least not a very profound one. Mm. So I guess to, in summary, you think that we should continue to identify ourselves as Asperger's so then we know ourselves of our own type and... Like high versus low functioning is problematic for many reasons. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm I'm in two minds about it, and I haven't really made up my mind. Um, I, I do still use the term Asperger's, as I do think it is quite helpful, particularly when describing my problems to members of the public who tend to, uh, if I say Asperger's, they don't tend to raise their eyebrows so high. Yeah. You know, I say I'm yeah. autistic because of their perceptions, even though I am also autistic. Um, what I often, I, I simply say, usually say Asperger's autism, so then I've got the best of both. Yeah. It is autism, and it's an Asperger's variety. So. Yeah. Yeah, I would usually say Asperger's because with autism, although I know it's technically correct because, like, the definition has changed, people just think of, like, normally as a child, not an adult, and someone who, like, is completely in their own world, just running around, unable to talk completely unable to interact and needs like a carer with them like to their side all the time so if I say I'm autistic people just don't like they don't understand whereas if you say Asperger's they've got some you sometimes it's inaccurate well often it's inaccurate what they think of people with Asperger's but at least it's sort of I don't know they can see it can fit me yeah it's a starting point yeah. they tend to kind of um accept what you're saying more yeah, I think. And yes, there are stereotypes attached to Asperger's, such as the extremely intelligent IT geek stereotype. Yeah, but, um, it'd be good if that was true. That would be <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think because the person assumes that you're going to be able to talk and all of these things, it's, it's, it's a better place and to they, start. At least they assume you will be intelligent. So. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we mention... Um, uh, the, the another problem with a high-functioning thing. I think we... we um, talked about this before in passing, um, obviously about the uneven skills profile, because I just thought that was important to mention. 
yeah so that's what we were saying earlier like about how um it makes high versus low functioning makes like your the definition of functioning to be intelligence when or the apparent intelligence and apparent social skills when there are so many more like areas in which you can be like lacking or skilled in if you're called low functioning like say for example um like you can be like really like i've got adhd and so like i've got really bad executive dysfunction and like i can't do the most basic things like um for self-care because my brain can't get itself organized into doing like simple tasks like say for example um if i want to have a shower my mum has to get it all ready for me like get the towels out and all my new clothes and everything because it's just too much for my brain to think about and that's like a really simple basic thing yeah i am in mensa and people consider me like when they talk to me they think i'm intelligent yeah i can't do basic self-care things yeah and also um for myself um the uneven uh, skills profile means that when i had my intelligence tested at primary school my yeah it was a 40 point discrepancy between my verbal and non-verbal iq so verbally i can come across as very intelligent and i have a history degree but non-verbally i really struggle i can't work i'm not in um uh, you know i'm not in mainstream work um and i rely on my dad and support workers for a lot of things i um i get tired out very easily because I can only do so many things in a day, although I can, say, go and buy my food and do things like that. So people might think, oh, she's high functioning, you know, she can go and buy a food. And yes, I can cook. Um, cooking is actually one of my special interests, which helps and food and everything. So people, again, might think, oh, she's very high functioning. She could do this, she could do that. But what they don't appreciate is how tiring this is and how zapped of energy I feel and how um, uh, things like I don't know where I'm heading in life, like forming goals, all those sort of things, um, relationships. I've never been in a relationship um you know i do now have a couple of friends um all who all have asperger's but um three three years ago three four years ago um, i didn't have any friends so that's a very recent development and still relationships are incredibly difficult for me i've never you know i've never had a partner or anything like that I, i'm absolutely clueless how to form those types of relationships um and uh, socializing is incredibly tiring i, I often feel disconnected I, I find it very hard to relate to people intuitively um and like i say um i've never i've never had a proper job i'm on benefits um i spend a lot of time procrastinating just sitting in front of a computer screen twiddling my thumbs thinking what am i going to do what am i going to do clothes on the bed takes me ages to move the clothes to put them away um so i it's quite inefficient because i could spend hours of my life just procrastinating because it's so hard to move from one activity to the next and uh, to make plans. Mm. My support worker has to help me organise my stuff because I just tend to put paper all over the place because I can't um, put things in order. Um, so, so yeah, and, it's, and yet people think I'm high functioning because they just focus on, you know, that, those rather superficial things I can do without kind of actually looking closer and seeing, you know, my, my quality of life in some areas is reduced because of my disability. And I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I do have support workers and and my dad who helped me out but if i didn't have those things i wouldn't be functioning at all yeah it's like with me like um people don't like like people i've told about my condition sometimes are really unsympathetic and they think there's nothing wrong with me and that i'm just like i don't know like i almost feel like they're really judging me and thinking that i'm a benefits cheat or an attention seeker or something but the reality is i i've never had a job 
um, I'm 25, I'm completely dependent on my mum for almost everything, like she cooks all my food, she arranges everything for me, she, she does all the running of the house because it's just too much for my brain to be able to do. And like I've, I don't have any higher education at all. I, um, I've never had a relationship. I've never had a job. So I'm completely like not, not functioning. And like on a day to day life, I'm all, I also spend most of my time just either daydreaming because it's like a, it's easy for my brain to do or procrastinating because it's because our brains are so inefficient. Things that normal people find automatic and easy hours takes a huge effort to do and that's so that's why it's so tiring yeah that when i had the um uh is it e ecg encephalogram something that when they measure your brain waves can't remember what, what it's called but um they found that some parts of my brain was not communicating with each other effectively and it makes you really really t- tired because it takes so much more effort just to think or think i should say i'm not speaking properly yeah yeah, that's the, um, I think, um, uh, I might be wrong, but I think what you're saying is the, um, what I've read as well, that the, uh, the left and right hemispheres of people with Asperger's don't tend to talk to one another. Yeah, um, it's all the little, smaller areas of those hemispheres themselves are not communicating. Yeah, disconnection. Yeah, so, or like they can be communicating, I think in my case there was two areas of the brain that was communicating with each other so fast that my brain is constantly having to try and remember what it done because one area doesn't have the chance to process the other's area's message because it's gone through too quickly and so it makes you constantly tired and having to constantly check you've done things because one part of your brain can't remember that you did it or trying to remember what you've even been thinking that makes sense yeah it's um things like uh going to the shops for example um making a list to to buy food that uh, a neurotypical could do that quickly and they could do all those other things they need to do in a day as well, such as go to work, uh, yeah. see their friends, what have you. Look after their family. Yeah, whereas for me, I will spend about two hours sitting in front of a computer, knowing I need to go to the shops, um, trying to summon up the energy and willpower to get out of the door. It will eventually happen, and I'll go to the shops. So someone who sees me thinks, yeah, we've got a problem, look, she's going to the shops. Um, but it's taken me two hours to actually get out of the house to do that, two hours um, from when I decided to go to the shops to when I actually leave the door. Sometimes yeah. it can take even longer than that. And then um, that, when I get back, then I'm thinking, now what do I do? If I've got a plan, something in my diary like I, that someone else has kind of uh, orchestrated for me, um, then that's good because I, I need structure. But it's creating that structure for myself that's difficult. Yeah. And if I don't have structure and I don't have something to do, that free time, not knowing what to do, is really, really difficult. Once I'm focusing on something, I can focus well for a short period of time. But the other thing is sensory problems. Um, which people often overlook when they say someone's high-functioning. All this sensory information, such as uh, mainly, in my case, noise, um, takes its toll. Um, people don't see this because I cover it up and because I don't talk about it and I hold the stress in. But it's there, it's cumulative, it makes me very, very tired. And because I find it so hard to focus on tasks such as reading, or that tasks that involve a lot of concentration, this means that trying to focus is exhausting and that mean, and that's another reason why I can only do so many activities in a day and spend so much time procrastinating and why I'm not very efficient yeah like I I can't even like most of the time I just spend my time at home like even when I want to do things or plan it I often can't and I have to cancel stuff because it's just too hard for me to arrange everything to get out of the house it's just easier to just spend my time doing what appears to be nothing, but I'm actually daydreaming. So, yeah, 
And that's why they call uh, Asperger's a hidden disability. They call it hidden disability because you can't always see the problems a person has. Yeah. Another hidden disability is um, delayed sleep phase disorder, which a lot of people with ADHD have. It's when your brain is um, is basically more sensitive to light, like 15 times more sensitive to light, and so your circadian rhythm gets messed up, and you end up going needing to go to bed at like 4 in the morning. But that makes you nocturnal, and then that makes it really hard. Like That's an extra layer of disability, like trying to get out of the house and stuff when you only had a few hours sleep. And... Um, also, apparently, your sense of time is related to your circadian rhythm, so maybe that's why I've got no sense of time, and most people with ADHD have no sense of time. So, yeah, there's there's so many, like, layers to a person's condition and their abilities or disabilities. I think and you need to wrap it up soon, if you have been talking oh, yeah. <laughs> some time. <laughs> yeah, we've covered most of your things, haven't we? Yeah. There's so much you could say. <laughs> we could, because we, we was intending to do it for five to ten minutes, weren't we? Mm -hmm. So how should we wrap this up? I did try and do a little summary earlier. Um, I guess the most important thing is is um, to to really see the person. Um, don't try and try not to form assumptions. If you meet someone with Asperger's who appears very articulate, who can look you in the eye, who's maybe travelled independently to see you, don't think, oh, they must be really high functioning. Don't make that assumption because you don't know what that person's gone through to get there. Oh yeah, and like what they've gone through to try and make themselves look normal. Like that's taken a lifetime of studying and copying to try and make themselves look normal. Yeah, yeah. The person who's got to gone to see you independently on the train, um, you know, that they might have gone, they might have spent years trying to get to that point. Because I hardly ever, I didn't even leave the house before I got my diagnosis, and now I can travel independently. But it's taken so much effort to get to this point, and neurotypicals take for granted. It's it's yeah. rather condescending, belittling. To say high functioning when you when you don't know the uh, the story behind it, yeah, um, and and how much stress I still go through. And also, you have to put the flip side that it's um like it hems hems people in to call them low functioning because they could have many skills. They just simply don't. They simply deem to they're judged to come across as unsophisticated. So yeah, they they you don't know what they can do. Like they may come across as having a lot of problems, but they may have many many skills. So yeah. Yeah, so in summary, always start with the person. Yes. Go from there. Okay. <laughs>